was in the small town of Crestwood. There lived two siblings, Alex and Jamie. Despite being twins, they couldn't have been more different. Alex was quintessential, was the quintessential sports jock, excelling in every athletic endeavor that came his way. Jamie, on the other hand, was a passionate artist with an innate talent for painting and drawing. Their father, a former star athlete in his own right, couldn't have been more proud of Alex's achievements on the sports field. Trophies lined the shelves of their home. The walls were adorned with pictures capturing Alex's triumphal moments. And the local community showered praise on Alex's accomplishments, making their father beam with pride. However, Jamie's artistic pursuits didn't receive the same enthusiastic response. Despite pouring his heart and soul into every piece, Jamie's paintings and drawings seemed to go unnoticed by their father. The walls which celebrated Alex's victories remained conspicuously bare of Jamie's creations. This contrast in parental approval created an unspoken tension between the twins. This unspoken tension over time turned into an unhealthy and messy relationship. They never spoke about it. As the brothers grew up, the divide between them became even greater, and soon conversations that were filled with anger turned to silence. Jamie would continue to feel like he never measured up, and yet he never spoke into the tension. As a result, he would continue to carry the feeling of not measuring up into every relationship. This created an edge, and this edge Jamie would carry into Every one of his relationships, whether friend or romantic, they never lasted long. It all came to a head when they were 35. Jamie and Alex learned that their parents had died tragically in an automotive accident. Jamie would soon learn that all was left to the favored brother. The feeling that Jamie never earned his dad's love the way his brother did would haunt him the rest of his life. The thought of, if I would have only spoken up, if I would have only spoken into those feelings when they were first experienced, if only would continue to eat at Jamie's soul his entire life. And for the Christ follower that's in the room, we don't have to experience the if only. We all have been a part of a messy relationship somewhere. If you haven't, you will be. And so uh, this morning, as we talk about relationship goals, we have this question that we are asking. And that is, what do you do when you find yourself in a messy relationship? What do you do? Just ignore it? Just be silent about it? Just like pretend like it doesn't happen? Like, how do we do this? Again, as Christ followers, this is why we love the Bible. The Bible is filled 
The Bible is filled with stories about messy relationships. You, the, the, like the reality. You know, if you, if you read the Bible truly objectively, if you read the, uh, the Bible just really open to hearing what it really says, you will read story after story that does not end well. You will read PG-13 stories, and some are even rated R. That's in the Bible. Stuff you would never talk to your kids. You would never want your kids to watch a movie about some of the stories that actually happen in the Bible. The Bible, that's why we can trust it. It doesn't always paint this pretty and rosy picture. It deals with life head on. And this morning, just one. We're just going to look at one relationship between two twins. Esau and Jacob. Esau was the oldest by a couple of minutes. And I'm sure that he reminded Jacob about that many a times as they were growing up. Hey, I'm the oldest one. I'm older, right? But you know how I know that? Because my wife is a twin. And guess what? Guess what her older brother does to her? He reminds her, hey, I'm the oldest. I'm two minutes older, all right? So he, they, that reminder is there. We watch this. We see this happen. And then in Genesis chapter 25 through 33, we're going to read all these chapters and verses. No, we're not. I'm just joking. But it got you scared, right? Um, we're, going to, we're just going to look at We're just going to highlight just a couple of these uh, so that you understand what Esau and Jacob were actually dealing with. Well, look what happens. In Genesis 25 and verse number 27, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac, that's the dad, loved Esau, the firstborn, because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebecca, the mom, loved Jacob. So right there, the author wants us to know, look at the framework in which these boys were growing up. A home in which one was favored over another, where dad loved one son, and it was obvious to all. So, Jacob had enough of being reminded that he wasn't the oldest. And Esau comes in one day from hunting, starving. Now, I don't know if that has to do with his hunting skills or not, but he's starving Marvin. And guess what Jacob is doing? J- Jacob has like been to culinary school. He's making some delicious whatever. And there as he's cooking, Esau comes in and is like, oh my gosh, that smells delicious. Can you give me some? And Jacob is like, hmm, here's my opportunity. Right? And he talks him into giving him his birthright. Now, I know to us in our Western culture, that doesn't make sense to us. But in the ancient history of Israel, the birthright, oh my gosh, that was like everything. That meant, if you were the firstborn, that meant that you got all the power of the wealth, you got the choice of everything, what you, the inheritance, it was all yours, and you got most. And Esau gave up his birthright for that lunch. But for Jacob, that wasn't enough. He and his mom would find a way, not just to steal the birthright, but also to trick the dad out of the blessing. And again, we don't get this. Like, that doesn't resonate with us. But there is something to having a blessing. You and I... We need our Father's blessing. There's something about when your dad has looked you in the eye. And your dad says, Son, I'm so proud of you. 
There's just something about that moment. And Jacob tricks Esau out of that moment. And you know what Esau does? He lets that. He lets that continue to grow and grow and grow. And he and Jacob never deal with that messy relationship that they have to the point of this. In chapter 27, it says Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. And then I'll kill my brother Jacob. You see, that's what holding a grudge will do. You know what? We, we would say holding a grudge, we would call that like bitterness in our life. That's what holding on to bitterness will do in your life. When you hold on to it, this is why the Apostle Paul says for the Christ follower, right? So here's our command of those of you who are trying to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus, um, here's what he would say to do with bitterness. Let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slandering be removed from you along with all Malice. So he brings up this idea of bitterness there. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness. See, the bitterness is so important. The Bible talks about how deadly bitterness is, that no root of bitterness springs up, what? Causing, uh, causing trouble in you and defiling the many around you because you know what? Bitterness doesn't just affect you. Bitterness is a poison that leaks out of you into all of your other relationships. We have to deal with the bitterness. So what do we do? How do we keep it from moving into bitterness? Well, here's how, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry... Right? Get mad. Get angry. Name the emotion and the feelings that you have, but you don't have to sin. See, being angry isn't the sin. It's what you do with that anger that can become sin. And sometimes becomes bitterness when you don't deal with it and just messes with you from the inside. He says, be angry and don't sin. Hey, deal with it. Like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That means deal with those emotions and feelings that, you're, that, you're, that, that cause the anger. And don't, listen, don't give the devil an opportunity. Because when you, when you don't deal with the anger, that gives the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc in your soul with bitterness. And that can bring all kinds of demonic forces into your life, creating all kinds of havoc in your life. This is why this is so important. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander, what? Be removed. That's what we do. We've got to get it out. We've got to deal with it. We've got to talk about it. We need to remove this bitterness. It's a process. It's, a, it's you coming to God. And God, why do I keep on feeling like this? It's you talking it through with the person, with the other person that has, has brought this into you. It's not pretending like it's not there. We deal with it. We ask God, remove this from us. And we replace it with kindness. He says, and be kind, in verse 32, and compassionate one to another, 
See, this is it. This is our operating system. For the Christ follower, the one who has submitted and surrendered their life over to Jesus, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, this is the Christ follower's operating system. This is our framework from which we deal with messy relationships. And in case you didn't get it, in Colossians 3.12, he says basically the same thing. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, that means Christ followers, you're holy. You are dearly loved by God. Remember, this is your standing before God. You're holy. You're dearly loved by God. He says, put on compassion. You, this is something you have to do, and you have to ask the Holy Spirit to produce this in you. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, that sounds like the fruits of the Spirit. That's because it is. In Galatians 5.22, right? So we have to ask the Holy Spirit to please produce this in us, get rid of the bitterness, like pull that out by its roots, and Holy Spirit, produce this in us. Why? So that you can bear with one another. So that you can continue to push through these relationships. So that you can deal with messy relationships. Again, forgiving one another. And here, what's our standard about forgiveness? If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. That's our standard. What this brings so many times in our lives is, well, Rick, how many times do I really have to forgive them? Like, how many times? Hey, you know what? Peter had the same question. Peter said to Jesus, uh, right, there, you know, right there in the circle of the twelve, right? He's like, but, but Jesus, how many times? And then you know what Peter does? Peter's like, I'm going to throw a number out. He's like, what's this, what's this uh, John? Seven. Seven times. You know why he threw out seven? Because the rabbis taught three times. That's why he just didn't randomly pick a number. He thought um, the rabbis teach us that we need to uh, forgive three times. And Jesus, uh, Jesus is a rabbi. And what uh, Peter's going to do is be like, show, he's going to show him where his apprentice is, right? He's going to be like, dude, I'm going to say seven, seven times, Jesus. That's how, you know, we're supposed to forgive seven times, right? And Jesus, look, I love this response. Don't read the second line yet. I tell you, not as many as seven. Now, just, just hold that right there, right? Hold that in your mind. Not, not seven times. Like Peter's like, yeah, I know. I exaggerated on purpose. Right? Did you hear that? He's going to back it down. He's going to like bring it back down to three. Jesus says, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. What? Peter's like blown out of the water. Now, hold on, let me do it. 490 times? You mean that every time somebody does me wrong, I've got to keep a check mark, and when I get to the 489th time, I'm going to be like, dude, you got one more chance, and that's it. I don't have to forgive you anymore, right? That's what you're saying, Jesus? And Jesus would be like, no, that's not the point. The point is, is in 1 Corinthians 13, that love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Because that's our operating system. We're supposed to forgive. So, when we come into, when we have a messy relationship that we need to deal with, we immediately come to the position of forgiveness. No matter who was the offended or the offender. We show up to that conversation with, I'm going to forgive because I have been forgiven. 
But what's our goals? We're going to talk about three goals real quickly. Three goals that we have as a Christ follower when we find ourselves in a messy relationship. Messy relationship goal number one, be a peacemaker. You're called and I'm called to be a peacemaker. Not a doormat, totally separate. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in, in Matthew 5, 9, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9, blessed are the peacemakers because they're the sons of God. A peacemaker is not a peacekeeper. Totally different. Peacekeeper don't deal with the issues. You know what a peacemaker does? A peacemaker says, hey, let's talk about this. Hey, this is just a symptom. What's the root thing going on? Let's go in there. Let's grab the roots and let's pull it out. That's a peacemaker. That's what a peacemaker will do. A peacemaker doesn't pretend like, oh, everybody just be nice to each other. Get along. No. Peacemaker, oh, what's going on? Why are you feeling like that? Well, let's get at that. Oh, let's go in there and pull that. It's just hard work. That's what, but we're called to do that. Now, there are going to be some people who don't want to have those kind of conversations with you. There are some, going to be some people who don't want to deal with that. But you know what you're called to do? In Romans... Chapter 12 and verse number 18. If possible, now this is written to Christ followers. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, you're just called to show up and offer to deal with it. If they don't want to deal with it, you can't do anything about that. Does that make sense? Okay, so what do we do in our messy relationships? We show up and we, we have to have this goal. I'm going to be a peacemaker in this situation. I'm not going to be a doormat, but I'm going to be a peacemaker. We're going to deal with the root issue. And we're going to do this as long as, uh, you know, I'm going to take every step I can. And if they don't want to do that, well, that's not on you. What is on you is taking the first step. So, uh, messy relationship goal number two. Believe the best. This really has three steps to it. Believe the best about the other person. Don't assume don't assume about why they did what they did. See, that's what a peacemaker will do. They will sit down and start asking questions to understand, not to point the finger or bring judgment. A peacemaker believes the best. You're going to show up, assume that they had the right motive, their motives were pure and all that. And then, you know what you're going to do? You're going to show up choosing to let go. I want all of us to put our hands together like this. Will you put your hand there and squeeze as hard as you can? Can you feel your forearms burn? Hey, if I know some of you are sitting at home watching online, okay? You're going to sit there. I want you to squeeze your hands. There's people in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm calling you out, Tony, right now. I want you to squeeze your hand, and I want you to, you know, do this with me. Everybody here is doing it. Everybody in the room is doing it, right? You're squeezing your hand, right? Okay, on three, I'm going to say, uh, when I count to three, we're going to say together, choosing to let go. All right, here we go. On three. One, two, three. Choosing to let go. You feel the release from your arm? See, the same thing is true when you do this in a relationship. When you choose to let that go, it may not be resolved, but you chose to let it go. See, this is what we do in a messy relationship. And then we create healthy boundaries. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about healthy boundaries, but I just want to put this book back up there um, from Dr. Henry Cloud. This is the best book for a Christ follower that they could ever read, or even if you're not a Christ follower. This is a, a fantastic book um, written by a Christian psychologist who, who has helped hundreds of thousands of people learn how to create boundaries in every situation that you can imagine. 
So I encourage you, uh, grab um, this book right there. Messy relationship goal number three. Live sacrificially. Show up into that messy relationship, living sacrificially, knowing this, that it's hard and it's going to hurt. That's why it's called sacrifice. Because sacrificing is hard and it hurts. Ask Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, God showed or he proved or he demonstrated his love for us. And that why you and I still chose to reject him. He chose to sacrifice. He chose to die for us. This is our model. Now, this morning, what I want you to hear is that this really works. I want you to hear from one of our very own, Lindsay uh, Dwight. Lindsay, if you'd come on up. Lindsay's going to share her story because she, uh, she found herself in a complicated and messy relationship. And so, hear from Lindsay. I grew up with um, a complicated mom, and she struggled with alcohol from the time that I could remember, and life at home was turbulent, we'll just say that. Um, And by the time I went into elementary school, she had started down a path that led to a drug addiction. And when I was about eight or so, she ended up leaving one day, and she didn't come back. Um, And that was a really scary time for our family. We didn't know exactly where she was. Um, And so when I was 10, she did end up in a detox program and in rehab, and my parents ended up getting a divorce. And so when she finished with her rehab, she ended up moving in with my grandparents. And I had amazing, wonderful grandparents. They were so loving and patient and godly. And so one of the rules that they had for her was that she needed to go to church somewhere. As long as she was going to live there, she was going to go to church. And so she found a church that, she, um, that was a good fit for her, and she rededicated herself to God. And that was a great season for us for a little while. And once I started um, spending the weekends with her, I would go to church too, and I started going to Sunday school, and I met my now husband Justin there back when I was 11. And um, when I was 13, I went with the youth group, Um, to a youth conference, and that was when I gave my life to Jesus. Um, The thing that really struck me at that time in particular was um, I had always believed in God, but I didn't realize how much Jesus cared for me and wanted me as a part of his family, even with all of my brokenness and dysfunction and my past trauma and experiences. He loved me so much and wanted me a part of his family. And I'm so grateful that God saved me when he did because he was with me. I had the Holy Spirit with me through the rest of the roller coaster that would continue to be my life. And so unfortunately, my mom continued to struggle with substance abuse issues. She struggled with severe mental health issues. And so I became a classic codependent. Um, I would stay with her on weekends, I would get to her house, I would clean the whole house, clean the bathroom, make sure she bathed, make sure she ate. 
And it continued like that for a long time. And when she wasn't well or if she was using or drinking, it was just, it was difficult. And she could be angry or she could be in a depressive state, completely shut down. And so once I got to the point of about um, high school graduation, I started to realize that I needed some of those boundaries in that relationship. Um, But around that time, she actually made some really drastic choices and some big changes to her own life that were really hurtful to me and to our family. And because of that, um, and I won't get into that, it's a long story, but because of those choices, um, I couldn't speak to her. I didn't speak to her for a long time, and um, that period of time also included my wedding. And so, you know, when you're a little girl, you picture your mom with you there getting ready and having a sweet time together, but I didn't get to have that. I couldn't have her be a part of that day. And um, as time went on and we continued to not have a relationship, I started to get really convicted. And I know that's the Holy Spirit, um, but I was really convicted about if I was a Christ follower and I'm telling people that I'm a Christ follower, how can I not listen to his call for love and forgiveness? And how can I not, as we saw this morning in in that verse, how can I not do what I can to live at peace with her? So I had forgiven her so many times before, and so I knew that I needed to do it again. And slowly over time, we began to restore that relationship, and we had plenty of ups and downs. Um, I had lots of boundaries in place, and Justin helped me to make sure that I was within those boundaries. We had to reevaluate boundaries depending on the season, depending on how things were going. And we had lots and lots of struggles, and it was difficult. That relationship was difficult. There were times that she disappointed us with her choices, but I always felt such a strong conviction to maintain that relationship and keep it going. But another reason that I felt so strongly about keeping that relationship was because of a fear that I had. And if you have ever cared for someone with an addiction issue, you know that fear that lives in the back of your mind. And so that fear did become a reality for me on September 7th of 2022. My mom and her husband were found passed away from a fentanyl overdose. And she was only 55. It would have been so much easier for me to walk away all those years ago. But I knew that I couldn't live with the guilt if I hadn't tried, if I hadn't done what I could to live at peace with her and maintain that relationship. And this has been, let me tell you, the hardest year, almost year and a half now of my entire life. Um, just with the grief of processing that, the trauma that has come up from the past to the surface, and the practical things of dealing with, you know, cleaning out her apartment and um, dealing with her probate and all that stuff, it's been really difficult. But the relationship that we had was unique, and it was special in its own way. And I'm so glad that we didn't miss out on the love that we had for each other. I'm so glad that my kids didn't miss out on the love that she had for them. And one thing that I will hold on to forever is um, 
that she would tell me every time that we talked how proud she was of me. And that was so life-giving, and it will continue to be life-giving. And I'm so glad that I didn't miss out on that blessing, even through the difficulties that our relationship brought. And so my hope in sharing this story is that you'll be encouraged. Um, We all have messy relationships. And like Rick said, if you don't have one now, you will at some point. And we all have people in our life who are difficult to love. But I hope that you will be challenged to live out that call as Christ followers, to love and to forgive just like Christ did so sacrificially for us. Because our relationships here are too important and we don't know how long we have. But on top of that, our witness, our example of the gospel of Jesus is too important. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. Let's thank Lindsay. That takes a lot of courage to share a story like that. And we've been praying, I've been praying so hard that the Holy Spirit would connect that with you. Because there's somebody that needed to hear that. There's somebody whose stories intersect with that. And God wants to show you that it's possible. It's possible for you to live in that way. Why? Why do we live like that? As we wrap up, here's why. Because everything is from God. Who has what? Reconciled us. God has reconciled us to himself. I want you to think about this. The offended God. The offended God reconciled us. We were the offenders. The holy God. We, the sinful people, offended him. Yet he reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he has, and he has given us, those of us who have come to that place in our life, who have submitted and surrendered our life over to Jesus, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you realize that every Christ follower, you're a minister. You have a ministry, and your ministry is reconciliation. You say, what is that? I'm glad you asked, because Paul said, that is, here it is, in Christ, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, or their sins, or all their mess-ups against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He wants to use you. To go back to your school. Students, listen. He wants you to use you to go back to your school. He wants you to share with those that you do sports with, those that you sing with and band and marching band, wherever. He wants you to go there and to carry a message of reconciliation. Letting them know that they can be made right with God through the person of Jesus. That's just the call that He's called. He says, us, that means you, that means me. He wants you to go into your workplace. Everywhere we go, we need to be ready, looking, how can I share this message? And then he calls us ambassadors. Not only are you a minister of reconciliation, but you are an ambassador for Christ. And look at this. God is making his appeal through you. He's making his appeal to other people through you as you live out your life. 
as a minister of reconciliation. He's using you to call them as they watch how you handle messy relationships. When you show up to your work and you say, oh my gosh, you won't believe what happened this weekend. Crazy uncle came over and, and you know, you start telling everything. And then you say this. But you know what? It was so cool because we got to talk about Jesus and how Jesus forgives and how Jesus has forgiven us. You see how you can just, boom, all of a sudden, boom, you're in the gospel. You see how easy that is? Right? You can do that. He calls us to live like this. For this reason, here's our next steps. Take out the connection card. It's in the chair in front of you. Hurry. Um, if you're online, I'm not joking. Hurry. Um, if you're online, we have a link for the next steps. Next steps are so important. We each, every one of us has a next step. I have a next step. You have a next step. Number one, this week, I'm going to take practical steps to help me reconcile and heal a relationship that has been broken. Pray for me. You need prayer. You need to be bathed in prayer. If you're going to enter into this, if you're going to really live like a peacemaker, and you need to be bathed in prayer. Our prayer team, our staff team, we're going to be praying for you. Just circle step number one. Write your name on there. Um, as little or as much you want to about the relationship in specific ways, a way to pray for that. And we're going to pray. And God will know. And He will. We're going to pray that God gives you what you need. But, step number two. I don't know how to have a non-messy relationship because it was never modeled for me. I need help, the help of Jesus. That's the prayer part. That's asking Holy Spirit, help me. And then I need the help of some coaching. You would welcome a call. So circle step number two, put your name, make sure your phone number is on there. And we have a, a, a team of people that have agreed to reach out and call you. And they'll listen. These are people that have dealt with messy relationships. And they're going to help coach you. What, how do you even start this? Right. So if you want that, then please use the connection card. So this is step number two. Put your name and your phone number on there so we can reach out to you. Now, step number three are for those of you who are here and you've been coming for weeks, months, or maybe a few years. But you've never submitted. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You never invited him into your life. If that is you, today could be the day. This step number three is this. My relationship with God is broken because I have never repented of my sin and believed in the name of Jesus to be reconciled to God, but would like to do that today. Today could be the day for you. Today you could be reconciled to God. You don't have to carry the weight of guilt and shame. And you don't have to pay your sin debt. Jesus already paid that. If you would just call out, if you would just pray and receive Jesus with as much faith as you can, you confess you're a sinner and then you confess, Jesus, I believe. you would do that today you could partake of communion and communion would have a whole new meaning for you you know that's what communion is all about in a moment we're actually going to partake of communion and the way um, that we practice communion because the scripture says this that communion are for Christ followers for people who have submitted and surrendered and when we take the bread We're remembering that Jesus gave his life. When we drink that cup and the juice reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for us. It was sacrifice. It was hurtful. It was painful for Jesus. But he washes us clean. Washes all of our sin. He reconciles us. That's what communion does. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of reflection. A time of just 
silence so that you and God can have a conversation. Because some of you need to ask God to search my heart. Some of you uh, and some of us need to repent. I include myself. I, you know, I need to repent and make sure that everything on the inside is right. So that I can take communion from a posture of right, of Jesus' righteousness. And that's what this moment of silence is for. But maybe for you, this moment of silence is for you to submit and surrender. Maybe for you, this is the time you're going to pray. And, you're, and for the first time, you're going to confess that Jesus, Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, and you're going to bring your sin to him. And you're going to ask for forgiveness of that. And then you're going to invite Jesus into your life. If you would do that, then we invite you to partake, to take communion with us in that way. So let's have this moment of silence. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I'll just pray with and for you right now. Would you pray, Father, I confess that Jesus is Savior of my life. I confess that I have sinned. I bring that sin before you. I ask for forgiveness of that sin. best I know how. I place my faith and trust in you. Come into my life. Save me, Jesus. And Father, I'm praying for that person, whether they were online or right here in this room, if they prayed that prayer and meant it from their heart, God, we're praying, Jesus, they would sense your Holy Spirit coming to live inside of them. Wash all their guilt and all their shame that they've been holding on to, set them, allow them to be clean. In fact, Father, you have restored them in all of their brokenness. Jesus, thank you for restoring each one of us. Thank you for making us whole again. And now, Spirit of God, move. Continue to speak. In a creative way, I want to ask you just to watch the screens in, in this artistic way. 
demonstrating, showing what it looks like to be restored back to God. I am seeking, searching for the things this world has rejected, the things that are broken, that are flawed, thrown away and discarded. I seek the lost, the damaged, the forgotten things, the overlooked and the neglected, the things that have been pushed aside and left behind. Why? Why do I do this? Why chase after that which is despised by so many? It is because I have chosen the rejected. I bring restoration to the broken. I see beyond the flaws and the imperfections, and I bring new light to the lost. This world has called them useless and garbage, hopeless and unwanted. They have been scarred, abused, ignored, and unloved. But I, I have reclaimed them. And they belong to me now. They are my masterpiece. And I have a plan and a future for every single one. For I am crafting these dissonant and discarded pieces into something beautiful. his new creations. We're going to take the bread together. So just peel off the top part. Pull out the bread. And church family, in remembrance of Jesus giving up himself for us, take and eat.